0: And led them through the wilderness into the promised land. In boundless love and mercy, he gave his only son who became the sacrifice for everyone. Four thousand roaches. God's
1: mercy. I want to thank you for faithfully tuning in to this morning Bible study at 9 o'clock in the morning. I just want you to know that us at Rick Bonfin Ministries, we're not saying we're the best Bible teachers, you know, and that we're the most scholarly, but what I am saying is that we love the Word of God. We believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. And we're doing our very best to present Bible studies that speak to the needs of Christians who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, died and rose again, and want to see the name of Jesus spread throughout all the earth, want to see salvations, want to see people healed, set free, delivered. And so if that's you, then you're in the right place. And I want to thank you for tuning in once again and joining us as we... Go through the book of Acts and do a study on the book of Acts. So we're in Acts chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas, the first missionary journey, right? And it's just so inspirational and it's interesting to just to to look at it and see the people and, and how how the, the people involved begin to work out this thing of the, the Jesus saying, You're going to be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and all the earth. And and you begin to see how this Plays out. So, Paul and Barnabas, as Pastor Rick uh, informed us yesterday, they, do, they go to Paphos. And they have an interaction there with, uh, with, uh, with evil, and they have to confront that. And uh, so, it was, a, it was a great Bible study on just, that was Monday morning, on, on, on you have to confront evil, you have to recognize it in your ministry, in your family, in your workplace. You can't pretend it's not there and just say, "Oh, I don't want. I feel like dealing with that because it's not pretty." Like Paul, you have to deal with it. So then, um, then we 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 have uh, in verse 13. So that's kind of where we are. That's what we pick up today. Verse 13. They finished the ministry there in Paphos, and then it, it says in verse 13. Now, when Paul and his company loosed or left from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. Okay, which is uh, a little um, on the southern part of uh, Turkey, modern-day Turkey, is Perga, and Pamphylia is a little Roman province there, and uh, and so Perga is like a port city, and so they sail, you know, about you know maybe 75 miles or so from uh, the the island and Pappus there up to Perga to the mainland, and they're in Asia Minor now. Now something happens. In verse 13, when they get to Perga, right? Because the next beginning verse 14, the next major event in terms of Paul's ministry is going to happen in Pisidian Antioch, a hundred miles north of Perga. But now Luke pauses here and puts this line that I, I I don't want to skip over it because actually I think that Luke is doing something here very important to to help us sort of. Look at how ministry happens in real life. It says that when they got to Perga, John Mark departed and returned back to Jerusalem. Now, that's a very interesting thing because uh, we actually didn't know previously uh, when, when it says that uh, the Spirit said, set apart from me, Paul and Barnabas. You know, it didn't say, set also apart from me, John Mark. But obviously, there's others that were traveling with them, and one of them was John Mark. And for whatever reason, when they get to Perga, John Mark decides decides that he wants to go back to Jerusalem. Now, we don't know why. It doesn't tell us exactly why. There's been some speculation about it. You know why. But what what we do know is that Paul was really angry at John Mark for leaving. He was really upset. However it took place, it, it wasn't very pretty. Because we see in Acts chapter 15, after the first missionary journey is over and they get back to Jerusalem and they're all sitting around talking and then then, uh, in verse 36, um, Paul said to Barnabas, hey, let's go again and visit our brethren in every city where we preach the word of God and see how they do. Okay, so Paul says, let's kind of go visit some of these folks again that we did on the first missionary journey. And so Barnabas said, okay, let's do it, verse 37. But let's take John with us, whose name was Mark, John Mark. And Paul thought, not good to take him, because he departed from them in Pamphylia. Actually, the word there is a little stronger. Paul understood that to mean that John deserted them when they got to Perga. Paul was hurt. He was hurt by John Mark's actions. For whatever the reason was, Paul interpreted that as as John abandoning the call of God. And he was angry at that. He didn't want to he didn't want to be, be involved in that. Um. But Barnabas fights for John Mark and takes him. Now we, we find later uh in the in Second Timothy, Paul apparently comes around and realizes that he, he's he can't hold a grudge against John Mark because he asks when he's in prison in Rome, for John Mark to be sent to him because he's useful in ministry. So, they make amends. And so, in the middle of the first missionary journey, you essentially have a split. You have ministry leaders who split, and there's a lot of frustration, anger at each other. Right in the middle of the gospel being spread. Now, first of all, I want to say... Thank you to Luke for including this human element that ministry can be really difficult. So what are some things that we can learn out of this? And that's kind of where I want to spend a little time this morning before we move on, because uh, it's it's a short line in the middle of a story, in the middle of this missionary journey where so many amazing things happen. But, but, if we, but Luke put it there on purpose, so I don't want to skip over it. What happened with John Mark was important to Luke. So what can we learn? Well, sometimes I think that we have to give room for people to grow into a role. What do I mean by that? Well, because you're called to full-time ministry doesn't mean that you're ready immediately. We have a lot of people that come to Rick Bonfin Ministries as interns and they have a call upon their life, no doubt about it. But they're not ready to launch into full-time ministry. They have to go through uh, a a long growth period. Now, I, now am I right, Frankie, that when uh when Frank was called into ministry, he had to go through a time of preparation. He probably had some some struggles that he had to fight through. Right? Absolutely. And so there you have John Mark who's trying to follow along with Paul and Peter and, and or Paul and Barnabas and so for whatever reason he You know, either you know he he maybe he was afraid. Maybe the resistance in Paphos. By the time they got to Perga, just the fear overwhelmed him, and so he maybe he had family obligations that he, he he just felt like he had to get back to Jerusalem. He could have been physically exhausted. Maybe he was struggling with doubt. You know, physical exhaustion is a real thing in ministry. Doubt tries to creep in. You know, pressures from the outside, financial pressures, whatever it is. You know, but. Um, now, John, what I, what I love here is that John Mark, we find, wanted to overcome whatever the impediment was. Okay, so his actions in chapter 13 of leaving and returning to Jerusalem, it, 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 it really stuck with him that maybe he should have stayed. That's what I think because Barnabas said well, we need to take John Mark and we need to take him everywhere that he didn't get to go and we need to show him what God did there so that he could be encouraged that this missionary stuff is is good and, and, we, and we need to keep going. So Barnabas wanted to give him that opportunity to overcome the struggle that he was going through. And that's, you know, that's what we know about Barnabas. We've done a bunch of studies about Barnabas and we know he's somebody that that takes a person that others might not believe in. He actually did that with Paul. When the council in Jerusalem wanted to have nothing to do with him, he brings him in and says, no, I know this guy. And so, again, with John Mark, he says, no, we need to give him a chance and let him see what God did in all these places. You know, he, he, he couldn't hang with us, but he wants to overcome Paul. Let's take him. And, and Paul just, you know, just couldn't take it. But, you know, people, people are at different levels in their faith journey. People are, are, are at all kinds of different levels. And so as leaders, we have to understand where people are and have some grace for that. Now, that's not the same, though, as let them just be complacent in where they are. Okay? And so that because we constantly, as leaders, we have to be able to challenge people to grow in their faith. But we do have to have an understanding that, that young, people that are young in the faith might not be be ready to make some of the hard decisions that we might make. They might just find it find that they have too many things that are bothering their minds or too many pressures. Um, and so, now Paul is pretty tough on John Mark here in the book of Acts. Really tough on him. Doesn't want to give him a chance. Now, what's interesting, though, is that by the third missionary journey, Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he's probably in Corinth or... or somewhere close to there, on the third missionary journey. And by this point, in, in the book of Romans, in Paul's epistle to the Romans, he's starting to write some things that show a different side of Paul than we see towards John Mark in Acts 13. He says things like this in Romans 14.1, Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment. He also says in Romans 15.1, we, who are strong, ought to bear with the failings of the weak. You see the tenderness there now paul Paul would challenge somebody, but he's starting to learn the other side too that there that like in verse uh romans fifteen seven accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. in other words, there has to be an understanding that not everybody's where you at, where you're at paul i mean. Paul was just, when, he, when God touched him in, Rome, in, in Acts chapter 9, I mean, he was going for it. I mean, he was a bulldozer for the gospel. And if you got in his way, he would just run you over. By the third missionary journey, he starts to realize that not everybody is quite in the place that he's at. And so you have to have, give an opportunity for somebody in the body of Christ to have a weaker faith that's growing. And so Paul begins to learn this lesson. And I think that's part of the reason, honestly, why he was so successful. It's because he he was willing to learn. He was Paul himself was willing to soften up and see a different side and change. And so there's a tenderness tenderness in Paul in these verses. The spirit's different, you know. And uh so as Paul later begins to realize that, that he was actually passing judgment on a weaker brother, we find in, in 2 Timothy 4.11, as I said, uh, he, he wrote, when he wrote to Timothy, he said, Get Mark and bring him with me because he's helpful to me in my ministry. So Paul overcame that struggle with John Mark. And he began to realize that, that he was just in a place in his life, and his faith development that Paul wasn't in yet. And Paul couldn't accept that at the time, and 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 then he, as as Paul grew, he he realized that, you know what, he could get there if we give him a chance. Maybe Barnabas was onto something. So what else, you know, what else can we learn here, as leaders, as Christians, from this uh, little passage here? Just, you know, it's like Luke just snuck it in there. They get to Perga, John le, you know, John Mark leaves, you know. He, You just pass over it real quick. Well, safe Christians can have really sharp disagreements. And that's a real thing. There's disagreements in church, in ministry. There can be um, different agendas. Okay? But as Christians, God's grace, we can find a way to continue working together and have fruits for the kingdom. Now, there might be some times when we have to part ways, the way Paul and Barnabas did. And both of them, I believe, were fruitful in their ministry. In fact, Paul validates Barnabas again in the book of 1 Corinthians. He's, um, he was saying that that like, Bar- like Barnabas was somebody that worked really hard for the kingdom. He validated Barnabas. So, so the, the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas in... Uh, chapter Fifteen of Acts was not final. Paul still believed in Barnabas first corinthians nine six Paul says, "You know, don't we have the right uh, don't we have the right to food and drink? He's arguing with the Corinthians who are trying to take advantage of him, and don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas, or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living in other words, Barnabas Is working hard, guys, and so am I. And so he validates Barnabas to the Corinthian church and says, Come on, we are worthy of our pay, me and Barnabas. So he validates Barnabas again. So they were able to continue working together, which I I find very fascinating. They had a really strong disagreement, but somewhere along the way they came back together and said, Hey, we're still working for the Lord, and and we're going to get it done. So I'm really encouraged by this uh, passage that Luke decides to put in here because it's just a moment for for us to look at the development of the spreading of the gospel and see that God is using by the power of the Holy Spirit imperfect people who are all at a different level in their faith and all of them are trying to grow and overcome their own personal battles. But in the midst of all of that, the church is just exploding. The gospel is just, is literally going from Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's going into Asia Minor, and then it just keeps growing from there. And so, I want to ask that we think about this and take a moment to say, is there somebody is there a brother or sister in my church, in my life, then I'm struggling with the fact that they just don't seem to be where I'm at. They don't, they don't seem to get it. I, you know, And I don't, I don't know how to deal with them. And ask the Lord, okay, God, I want to be balanced, I want to, be to have grace for them to be where they are, but I also can't compromise the gospel. So, God, help me to know how to deal with this brother and sister because they might not be where I think they should be, but Your Word tells me that I need to give an opportunity for them to grow. So how do I do that, God? Help me to figure this out. I believe God will. God did it with Paul. He came around with John Mark in the end. And they did ministry together. So I'm encouraged to think about that. Okay, so that's sort of the first part. And, uh, you know, that that whole scenario... Um, uh, I knew it wouldn't quite take up the whole 30-minute session here, so I was prepared to move on because um, Luke moves on. And so with John, Mark, not with him anymore, Paul and Barnabas and whoever else is with him, they, they depart from Perga and they go up to um, uh, Pisidian Antioch. They came to Antioch and Pisidia. This is uh, verse 14 now. So we're sort of shifting gears, and we're going to spend the last 10 minutes or so talking about what happens when Paul and Barnabas get to uh, Pisidian Antioch and begin to minister in the Synagogue there. So sort of, you know, the it's sort of a two-part Bible study. Um, so kind of turn your minds towards, okay, we're moving on with the narrative here, and we're following about 110 miles north of Perga, you know, which probably took them about a week, roughly, to travel. Okay, they, they finally get there after traveling, and... uh uh, went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. So that's the scene. And after reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue went unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Okay, so what's going on? What's the scene here? Well, um, Pisidian Antioch is a Roman colony. It did have a large Jewish population. It had a lot, a, a large population of retired military um, Roman military because Rome would would give them free land so um, retired Roman military would go there so you you had some money and uh, you know fairly wealthy there were trade routes going in and out so you had a lot of uh, um, uh, sort of eclectic environment you know and probably sort of a melting pot of, of different opinions and religions and things like that and so they go into the synagogue now that's similar to you know what we saw Jesus do in his ministry a lot, right? Okay, Paul begins his ministry sort of in that routine of going to the Jewish synagogue. And there was a benefit to that because uh, it was regularly scheduled meetings where Paul would be guaranteed an audience. And Paul, as a, um, essentially as a teacher, as a known teacher or rabbi, would customarily be invited to address the crowd. So, so Paul had a built-in audience. Now, it's also in keeping with Paul's understanding of, of sort of the prescribed order for the gospel. Uh, he says in Romans 1.16, I am um, not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes to the Jew first and then to the Gentile or the Greek. So Paul's understanding, even though he did have a call to the Gentiles, his understanding theologically was the prescribed order of salvation was to present it to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. Okay, so that so Paul is sort of in keeping there with that. So he goes on, and 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 that's sort of the scene. Okay, it's just a normal scene. It's a it's a, it's a regular synagogue meeting. There's nothing necessarily out of the ordinary, and probably a lot of the same people are there. Maybe a few visitors as well, and 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 Paul and Barnabas are there, and so uh, they're they're kind of like maybe interesting because hey. We get to have a guest speaker. We don't have to hear the same old guy. <laughs> you know, you know how that is sometimes. <laughs> we don't have to hear the same, the same speaker. We get a guest speaker, right? Oh man! So everybody's kind of looking forward to that. And so, verse sixteen, Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said, "Men of Israel and ye that fear God, give audience." And then Paul begins to basically give a short, condensed history of what God did in the Old Testament for, um, for the Hebrew people, for the Israelites. Verse 17, "...the God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with a high arm brought He them out of it. And about the time of forty years suffered He their manners in the, in the wilderness, and when He had destroyed the seven nations in the land of Canaan, He divided their land... To them by lot. So he's given the short history, right? And after that, he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they desired a king, and God gave them Saul, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, to whom also he gave their testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. So I'm going to stop right there because this sort of is uh, is the first snapshot. Paul's sermon sort of has um, it sort of has three different sections to it. Okay, it's it's sort of the uh, the the history of um, of Israel, and then it's the account of the death death and resurrection of Jesus, and then it's uh, sort of a um, analysis of how the death and resurrection of Jesus fits within Old Testament prophecy regarding the uh, Davidic covenant. And then at the end, he gives a warning. So I'm just looking at the first part real quick uh, before we end, where it talks about... The, he tells the history of Israel, the short history of Israel, on how David comes and, and then he um, goes on eventually to talk about Jesus. So why is it important, or why in the world would Paul give a whole history of Israel instead of just start talking about Jesus? Right? Right off the bat. Why does he give the history of Israel first? So, there's just a few things I want to point out here and then we'll wrap it up. First, the coming of Jesus was not, did not come in a vacuum. What do, you mean, what do you mean by a vacuum? Well, it didn't come without preparation. It didn't come without forethought. It came with hundreds of years, thousands of years, of God preparing the way through the Old Testament. So the coming of Jesus is wrapped up in the promises of God found in the Old Testament. So if you want to understand in the heart of God the purpose and ministry of Jesus, read the Old Testament. And you will begin to understand more, better understand how Jesus is impacts God's plan of salvation. Because the Old Testament gives a powerful background for why we needed a Messiah. The giving of the law was not able to, to save us from our sins. The ministration of the Spirit is greater than that of the law because it can actually save us from our sins. And so that Old Testament background Shows that God had been working a plan of salvation. So, see, so that brings us to the second point: salvation through Jesus. It's something that God did. It's not, you know, just as God performed miraculous signs in the Old Testament to deliver His people and fulfill His promises, God initiated the plan of salvation through Jesus. So, it's not, it's not something that that people just thought up. Hey. You know this guy Jesus. Let's 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 create a savior. No, this this is something that God initiated in His own heart from the foundation of the world to save us from our sins. And so that's a powerful truth because a lot of people want you to think that Jesus is just a historical fig- figure and all this uh, all this stuff about him being the Son of God and dying and resurrecting and being in heaven on the ascension and the holy spirit coming it's just that's just all made up for us to sort of justify our ideas but see there's no denying that jesus saved my soul how can i deny my savior god put that plan in motion people didn't make it up i believe that with all my heart and that's in a maybe that that's an apologist's job a christian apologist job right to fight that intellectual battle i I'm, I'm i'm done with that I want to go to Cuba and baptize a bunch of people in the ocean that, that's what I'm looking for i I'm not out to to prove jesus to anybody I'll present jesus and anybody who wants it come get saved come get the Holy Spirit get the whole thing amen okay so one the coming of Jesus is has to be seen in with the backdrop of the Old Testament. Two, salvation through Jesus is a God-initiated plan. It comes from God. And so three, it can give us confidence that God is trustworthy. And we can be confident that salvation that is offered through Jesus is not just going to be taken away all of a sudden. Because see God is faithful. Look at Hebrews seven uh, twenty to twenty two. As much as not without talking about Jesus, as much as not without an oath, he was made a priest. In other words, Jesus was made a priest by oath. For those priests, meaning the Old Testament priests, were made priests without an oath. And this but Jesus was with an oath by him said, The Lord swear and will not repent. In other words, God is faithful to fulfill his promise to us for salvation, for eternal life, to be with him in heaven. And so Paul presents the Old Testament story, just you know, he just condenses it real quick. But he does that because he we have got to understand that the salvation that is offered through Jesus is. comes because God prepared the way for hundreds of years. And finally, when the moment was right, Jesus came into the world to save us from our sins. And so, so that old way of thinking, of trying to please God through law, Paul, Paul is saying we have to get rid of that. We can't, we can't uh, keep the law in our own power. So we have to surrender to Jesus, and we have to be saved of our sins. And then the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to empower us to live the life that God has called us to live. Okay, so I've used up my time here. We talked about John Mark. We talked a lot about the impact that that had. Wrestling with believers disagreeing and and being at different levels in faith and giving opportunity for people to grow. And then we moved on to, to the first part of Paul's sermon in, in the synagogue in Pisidian Antioch, talking about giving the Old Testament story as the backdrop because the ministry of Jesus and the salvation offered through Jesus is a part of God's salvation plan that He's been working through, the, through, through Abraham, through Moses, through all the Old Testament prophets. And so we have to see Jesus in that light or we're going to miss a lot of things. So I hope you got something out of, uh, out of the Bible study this morning. I had a lot of fun preparing it and 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 putting it together. You know, it challenged me really to think about my life and where I'm at and 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 to to recommit to thanking God that that He He is so gracious, so gracious. When I run out of grace, He He just keeps going with grace. When I run out of strength, He keeps going with strength. When I doubt, that He doesn't doubt me. When I'm confused, He's not confused. God is steadfast and sure, even in the Old Testament. I mean, He was so faithful, even when the Israelites would fail, He would just stay on it. He would continue to be faithful to them no matter what. That is my God. And I'm thankful for that, because if my salvation in Jesus depended on my ability to do it right every day, I'm hopeless. But it doesn't. God is faithful even even when I mess it up. So know that, know that today. Have a great day, and we'll see you tomorrow morning.
0: Oh, so amazes me, to every generation He gives the joy of His salvation. Oh, God's mercy, so amazes me as I watch the world. Around me, I can see reason from the seed of Abraham and led them through the wilderness into the promised land.